Hey y'all, and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the worlds of fitness and nutrition. I'm so excited about today's episode, so make sure you listen in and get ready to learn. Today, we're going to talk all about Thyroid 101, what your thyroid is, what it does, and why it's important, as well as what can impact your thyroid. So, let's first establish what is the thyroid. Well, the thyroid is the powerhouse of your metabolism. Just like the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, your thyroid is the powerhouse of your metabolism. It plays critical functions in regulating your metabolism, body weight, and energy levels. It also plays important critical roles in regulating your heart rate, blood pressure, body temperature, appetite, blood cholesterol, and lipid metabolism, digestion, carbohydrate metabolism, growth and repair, cognition, muscular and skeletal health, reproduction, nervous system, you name it. So basically, the thyroid is in charge of every single cell and organ system in your body and can impact your whole entire body. Anything that causes abnormal function to your thyroid itself or causes abnormal thyroid levels in your blood can greatly influence almost every single cell and tissue in your body. Thyroid trouble can create further hormone, adrenal or gut imbalances, progress autoimmune diseases, as well as wreak havoc on your energy and your body composition. If you want to optimize your health, your energy and metabolism, you need to optimize your thyroid. Your thyroid is a butterfly-shaped gland found at the base of your neck, just below the the larynx. So I want you to take your fingers and kind of like palpitate where your neck is, the bottom part of your neck. This is where your thyroid lies, the cute little butterfly-shaped gland that is in charge of so much. It is in charge of fueling almost every cell function in your body from metabolism, mood, cognition, Hormones, heart rate to growth and repair, like I've previously said. Your thyroid is what can decide if you lose weight, if you have energy, are fatigued, have a normal menstrual cycle, if you're depressed or anxious, if you can focus or not, work through day-to-day tasks, aka your thyroid is the ultimate queen in your body and it's important to respect, honor, and make sure she is optimized. Thyroid physiology can get quite complex, so let's break it down piece by piece, starting with your thyroid hormones, what thyroid disorders exist, and how thyroid hormones are produced and converted in your body. So let's dive into some of the basics, and I'm going to give you just some general vocabulary to start. So T4, thyroxine. This is the inactive form of thyroid hormone that can convert either to T3, active thyroid hormone, or reverse T3, inactive form of thyroid hormone. T3, triiodothyronine, is the active form of your thyroid hormone that is responsible for thyroid hormones work and actions in the body. Reverse T3 is the inactive form of thyroid hormone that is produced from T4 mainly in times of stress, infection, cortisol dysregulation, or nutrition deficiencies. TRH is thyrotropin-releasing hormone. This is a hormone that is produced by your hypothalamus that stimulates the release of TSH from your pituitary gland. It is regulated by T4 and T3 blood levels. 
Now, going back to that TSH, TSH is thyrotropin-stimulating hormone, which is a hormone produced by your pituitary gland that stimulates your thyroid to produce T4 and T3. TPO and TGAB antibodies are both antibodies that are produced when there is nutrition deficiencies, stress, autoimmune destruction. Essentially, these levels are found in Hashimoto's disease and they cause autoimmune attack to the thyroid with, which lowers the production of thyroid hormone produced and can damage the thyroid. Another one, just to keep in mind, calcitonin secreted by the thyroid when high calcium levels are found in the blood and it inhibits calcium release from the bone. Now, there are a lot of different situations and conditions that can affect your thyroid. So let's dive into what they could be. Hypothyroidism, decreased activity of your thyroid gland. This results in low thyroid hormones. There can be primary, secondary, we'll dive deeper into this later. Hashimoto's thyroiditis. This is decreased activity of the thyroid gland due to autoimmune attack of thyroid antibodies to the thyroid. This is aka autoimmune hypothyroidism. Hyperthyroidism is increased activity of the thyroid gland resulting in elevated thyroid hormones. This can be because of Graves' disease, which is increased activity of the thyroid gland due to, auto, due to autoimmune attack to the thyroid. Then we have two other situations. Thyrotoxicosis, which is excess circulating thyroid hormone. This can be short-term or related to a thyroid storm in Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Or thyroiditis, inflammation of the thyroid causing short-term hypo, causing short-term hyperthyroidism. This can last for a period of three to six months. So most likely I see thyroiditis occur in Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and it can be what makes somebody who's Hashimoto's with hypothyroidism think that they're actually hyperthyroid and get the wrong treatment. All right, so let's dive into how, how the thyroid works. Your thyroid produces four types of thyroid hormones, T1, T2, T3, T4, as well as that calcitonin. T4 thyroxine is the main hormone produced. About 80 to 93% of your thyroid production is made with T4. T3, triano, I can never say that right, triadothrionine is secondary. About 7 to 20% of the production of your thyroid hormone. Your thyroid then produces smaller amounts of T1, T2, and calcitonin. T4 and T3 are the major thyroid hormones involved and are created by your thyroid gland and are what do most of the metabolic work in your body. Recap, T4 is the primary thyroid hormone produced by your thyroid. T3 is the secondary. However, T4 is inactive and T3 is active. More on this later. How is the thyroid controlled? It's a beautiful and intricate complex process. In a normal, healthy individual, your thyroid is controlled through a negative feedback loop in which circulating T4 and T3 levels stimulate TRH, thyrotropin-releasing hormone, which stimulates TSH, thyrotropin-stimulating hormone, which stimulates your thyroid to either increase or decrease the production of your hormones. This intricate feedback loop involves your hypothalamic pituitary axis, aka your HPT axis, or better simply known as your HPA axis. Let's dive a little deeper. 
The pituitary is controlled by your hypothalamus, which produces that TRH. TRH stimulates TSH, that pituitary hormone, that signals to your thyroid to increase or decrease thyroid hormone production. Thyroid hormones are then released by your thyroid and converted to active thyroid hormone, T3, or inactive reverse T3. And this happens in multiple tissues in your body at different rates. This is done through that feedback loop that acts like a metabolic thermostat in your body. Typically, when T4 and T3 levels are low, as in the case of hypothyroidism, TRH tells the pituitary to produce more TSH, which signals to the thyroid to produce more T4 and T3. When T4 is high, as in hyperthyroidism, TRH then tells the pituitary to produce less TSH, which then decreases the amount of thyroid hormones produced by your thyroid. Essentially, the thyroid and pituitary work together to control thyroid levels in the body like a thermostat. If it gets too cold and thyroid hormones are low, TSH will go up. If it gets too hot and thyroid hormones are high, TSH will go down. This is how the body tries to stabilize your thyroid hormones in the body, as you don't want too much or too little thyroid hormone. To summarize, when your thermostat reads reads T4 and T3 as being low, TSH creeps up, indicating hypothyroidism. When your thermostat reads T4 and T3 as being high, TSH drops down indicating hyperthyroidism. There are multiple conditions and reasons for your thermostat to not read properly, in which TSH may be normal, and yet T4 and T3 may be low, seen in subclinical or cellular hypothyroidism. Like I said, it's very complex. So a step-by-step process on how your thyroid converts. Step one, hypothalamus secretes TRH, thyroid-tropin-releasing hormone. Step two, Pituitary responds to TRH and releases TSH, thyroid-releasing hormone. Step three, thyroid response, to C- thyroid response to TSH signals for creation and secretion of thyroid hormones, mostly T4 with little t3. Step four, thyroid hormones attach to TBG, thyroid-binding globulin, to travel to various tissues in the blood. Step five, Thyroid hormones are converted by the peripheral tissues with the help of deionase enzymes. T4 either becomes T3 or reverse T3. Step six, thyroid hormones can enter the cells of your tissues or they can be blocked and not properly enter. Step seven, serum T4 and T3 levels provide feedback to TRH to restart this cycle. All right, now that you have a good basis for how the thyroid works, let's dive into what can happen with the thyroid and the conditions that can arise with lack of or too much thyroid hormone. So hypothyroidism is defined as decreased activity of the thyroid gland, which can affect your metabolism, reproduction, cardiovascular health, mental health, and physical health, aka your thyroid can affect almost all cells and organs in your body. Hypothyroidism affects 1 in 10 women, with a 5 to 8 times more likelihood for women to have thyroid problems over men. It is estimated that 12% of the U.S. population would develop a thyroid condition sometime during their lifetime. That's crazy! And if it sounds like I'm out of breath, it's because I am recording this podcast in the middle of transitioning from my workout to doing some post-workout stretches. 
My apologies. <laughs> there are three main types of hypothyroidism. Primary hypothyroidism involves damage or malfunction of the thyroid gland itself, while secondary hyperthyroidism involves a disease or malfunction of other organs or tissues that can then affect thyroid function, such as pituitary dysfunction, hypothalamus-related issues like nutrition deficiencies, chronic diseases, you name it. Subclinical hypothyroidism occurs when thyroid levels may be slightly low with a normal or slightly elevated TSH. It's estimated that 2 to 7% of adults in the U.S. population have subclinical hypothyroidism. That is the hypothyroidism that I had. That's the one that I caught. And that is the one that I see most often in my practice as well as Hashimoto's. So speaking of Hashimoto's, hypothyroidism can be either immune or non-immune. Immune-related hypothyroidism is called Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and that affects women 10 times more than men. Crazy. In the United States, Hashimoto's is the most common cause and type of hypothyroidism. This autoimmune disease can lie dormant in many people. However, once there is a trigger to um, essentially wake up the um, autoimmune disease, it creates attack on the thyroid, resulting in hypothyroidism and potential irreversible damage to the thyroid. For many cases, the thyroid swells, creating a gorder from the thyroid's attempt to produce more thyroid hormone. If caught early, Hashimoto's, people with Hashimoto's are able to prevent damage to their thyroid. However, if not caught in time, thyroid, thyroid destruction can result in inadequate thyroid hormone production to sustain thyroid levels for the rest of their life because they have destruction of their thyroid and then their thyroid is not able to actually produce the thyroid that they need. Active Hashimoto's can be distinguished by antibody presence through TPOAB, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, and TGAB, antithyroglobulin antibodies. During active Hashimoto's, these antibodies attack thyroid tissue, thinking it's a foreign invader. The TPO antibody attacks thyroid peroxidase, the enzymes that are involved in T4 inactive to T3 active conversion, while TGAB antibodies attack thyroid thyroglobulin, which is a key component and part of thyroid hormone. This results in depletion of thyroid hormones, attack of the thyroid, and prevents inadequate and prevents adequate thyroid conversion. Again, Hashimoto's, if left untreated, can cause irreversible thyroid damage. This is why it is so important if you suspect a thyroid condition to get a full thyroid panel. More on this later. So what causes the immune and thyroid attack? Molecular mimicry. In molecular mimicry, your body mistakes a foreign invader for a normal cell. I mean, mistakes a normal cell for a foreign invader. My bad. This can be triggered and initiated by a stressor such as a virus, bacteria, stealth infection like EBV, Lyme disease, mold toxicity, heavy metal toxicity, food intolerances, gut infection. There are so many different triggers, and these triggers initially start up a thyroid storm. This thyroid storm can start, initiate, and accelerate the autoimmune attack, which can start right into hypothyroidism, or it can first put people in a state of hyperthyroidism, in which you enter the thyroid toxicosis state. Genetic risk factors for Hashimoto's are basically if anybody has any fellow autoimmune diseases such as celiac disease or lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, or if somebody has the MTHFR enzyme, which is involved with methylation. 
Now let's dive into how to best explain the molecular mimicry and autoimmune process. Think of autoimmunity like a car race. There is a trigger that leads to damage of your thyroid cells. Let's pretend the trigger is a thief and takes money from the bank, aka your thyroid. The bank is destroyed. The bank sends out signals to the police, aka your hypothalamus, that something is wrong. Immune cells, aka the cops, come in and strive to save the bank. The bank can either be continued to be destroyed by other thieves, stay in signal mode as the cops don't know what's going on, aka keeps putting out thyroid hormone, or it can be resolved when the cops catch the thief. However, if the damage done to the bank is not caught in time and it keeps going, then that damage is irreversible. I hope that better explains molecular mimicry. Regardless of the type of hypothyroidism, having a low thyroid can result in a host of havoc to your body. Signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism include, but not are, but are not limited to, the following. Please get ready. It is a long list. Weight gain or weight loss, muscle loss, hair loss, chronic fatigue, low heart rate, dry skin, digestive issues like chronic bloating, constipation, or even diarrhea, joint and muscle pain, brain fog, irregular menstrual cycles or no cycles, cold intolerance, depression or anxiety, dry skin, insomnia, loss of libido, swelling of your face, loss of eyebrow hair, cold hands and feet, elevated cholesterol levels, and swollen thyroid or a gorder. Now, when I got diagnosed with hypothyroidism, what I had was I had very dry skin, hair loss, no menstrual cycle, anxiety, depression, loss of libido, and swelling of my face. My face was extremely puffy, like to the point where I was like, what on earth? I look like I've gained like 10 pounds. And I did gain a little bit of weight, but mostly it was muscle loss and then swelling of my face. Now, it's important to note that these signs and symptoms are also signs and symptoms of other conditions like adrenal imbalances, low cortisol, high cortisol, estrogen dominance, low progesterone, so many. So you have to make sure that you test. Don't guess. All about checking testing. More on that later. People with Hashimoto's, the autoimmune form of hypothyroidism, can go in and out of hyperthyroidism as well as hypothyroidism. And this is because of thyrotoxicosis in release of that thyroid hormone and destruction of the thyroid, um, destruction to the thyroid gland. So that's the very confusing part for people who have Hashimoto's is that it can go up and down. Now I'm going to leave hyperthyroidism for another podcast and we will dive into that later. So I want to make sure you guys fully understand the meaning behind certain signs and symptoms and how they correlate in regards to hypothyroidism. So symptoms are like a fire alarm and your body's way of saying, help, there is a fire, something's wrong. Weight gain results from reduction in your metabolism and alterations in your sex hormones, as well as your metabolic rate, T3, very much controls, mood changes that may occur due to shifts in serotonin, neurotransmitters, hormone levels such as high or low estrogen, lower high testosterone and progesterone, or nutrition deficiencies. Fatigue can occur due to lack of T3, which results in less work from the cell because there's less ATP and energy production. 
cold intolerance can become can happen because of changes in thermogenesis in which your body temperature drops and that increases your sensitivity to cold. And digestive issues can result from food intolerances, intestinal permeability, lack of hydrochloric acid or pancreatic enzyme production, slowed gut motility, as well as lack of that, um, as well as overgrowth and malabsorption, as well as gut infections. So let's talk more about the digestive issues I just mentioned. A common complaint in hypothyroidism is digestive distress, including gas, bloating, constipation, and increased food intolerances. Here's the thing. Hypothyroidism can cause digestive issues. However, digestive issues can also cause hypothyroidism. What happens physiologically? Well, the body produces less stomach acid, less pancreatic enzymes, less bile, and slows down your gut motility, which happens via what is called your migrating motor complex, MMC, and is greatly influenced by your vagus nerve, which connects your gut to your brain. These effects can result in trouble digesting and absorbing your food, early feelings of satiety, and bouts of constipation or even diarrhea. They also increase the risk of bacteria or fungal gut overgrowth or gut infections due to slow motility, constipation, over-fermentation of food sitting in your intestine, and low immunity in your gut. Addition, additional digestive effects include decreased absorption of your nutrients, creating potential deficiencies, increased risk of estrogen dominance and hormonal imbalances. Example, if estrogen is not properly metabolized and excreted and recirculates in the case of high beta-glucuronidase levels, reduced immunity and serotonin creation, hello, getting sick, mood swings, anxiety, and depression. Inflammation. This inflammation can create autoimmune attack, further thyroid inhibition, and then cause intestinal permeability, which can even create quote-unquote pseudo-intolerances, which may look like food intolerance, but overall, it's just overall body and gut inflammation and low immunity in your gut. Okay, now let's go into more. Your thyroid hormone production requires nutrients such as iron, iodine, tyrosine, zinc, selenium, vitamin E, B vitamins, vitamin C, and vitamin D. These nutrients are required to be able to make your thyroid hormones. Think of each nutrient as a part of a recipe for your favorite cookie, which I hope to God is not oatmeal raisin because they are trash. Each part of your recipe is critical to final, for the final delicious product to be made. If you're low in salt, sugar, butter, eggs, or have too much of that, you can screw up your cookies. So same goes for your thyroid. You need each component in optimal amounts for the creation of adequate thyroid hormones. It's not just about the nutrients involved, however. There are also... Several factors that can inhibit your thyroid hormone production, which include thyroid or pituitary damage, chronic stress, high cortisol levels or, or low cortisol levels, infection, trauma, chemotherapy or radiation, specific medications such as birth control, fluoride, which is an antagonist to, the, to iodine, heavy metals, environmental toxins, and elevations in antibodies as seen in autoimmune disease. Other factors that can inhibit production include pesticides, food intolerances, leaky gut, in which lipopolysaccharides, LPS, decrease diodenase activity, adrenal dysfunction, excess iodine or L-carnitine, and alcohol. Why is this important? Remember, your thyroid is the powerhouse of your metabolism. 
Any of these factors that affect your thyroid function can also affect your overall health and happiness. Your thyroid hormones are made up of iodine molecules and an amino acid called tyrosine, which are attached together to a thyroid globulin molecule and created and stored inside your thyroid. The main thyroid hormone gets its name from, well, your thyroid hormones get their names from the amount of iodine residues attached to a thyroid globulin. T4 has four iodine atoms attached to a thyroglobulin and is inactive, like I said. This is the storage form of your thyroid hormone and is then released into the blood and converted to T3, which is made for the active, comport, the active portion of your thyroid. Then T3 has three iodine atoms attached to a thyroglobulin molecule, and that's your active form of your thyroid. So again, your thyroid produces small amounts of T3, large amounts of T4, and proper conversion is essential. Now, what do I mean by inactive versus active? Again, in order for thyroid hormone to do its work in the body, it must convert to T3. T4 is not metabolically active and must be converted to T3 in order to do its job. This means that conversion of your thyroid hormone is the critical component to ensuring that you have thyroid hormones that you need in order to do the body's actual work in energy production. T4 to T3 conversion is powered by deionase enzymes. These enzymes, labeled as D101 to D103, are membrane-bound selenocysteine enzymes that work to either activate or deactivate your thyroid hormones based on tissue needs. Their activity is heavily influenced by inflammation, nutrition deficiencies, endocrine disruptors, heavy metals, insulin levels, cortisol, and availability of necessary cofactor nutrients. Like the nutrients I talked about, they're involved in the creation of your thyroid hormones. There are various deionases, there are various deionases found within your body. The D1 is found in cell plasma membranes, mostly in the liver, kidneys, thyroid, and pituitary. It is involved in the conversion from T4 to T3 to a smaller extent. D2 is found in cell endoplasmic reticulums within the thyroid, central nervous system, pituitary, and skeletal muscle. It is involved in the conversion from T4 to T3, reverse T3 to T2, as well as plays a critical role in your body's thermogenesis and in the T4-mediated negative feedback loop between your tissue level, tissue thyroid levels and HPA axis. D2 is the most prevalent deionase and is the most important. D3 is found within plasma membranes, mostly in the central nervous system, skin, and regenerating tissues, including the brain, making it extremely important during fetal development. It's involved in the inactivation of T3, in which importance in fetal development, in, in which the importance within fetal development lies in the protection from high maternal T3 and T4 levels. Now, these deionase enzymes require such nutrients such as iodine, selenium, zinc, iron, B vitamins, protein, vitamin A, vitamin D, tyrosine, dietary carbohydrate, I'm going to say that again, dietary carbohydrate, and cortisol. In a healthy individual, your thyroid has no issues converting T4 to T3, but in the presence of stress, trauma, infection, nutrition deficiencies, inflammation, high insulin, you name it, anything that can affect how your thyroid is created or converted, even things like low-calorie dieting, chronic dieting, over-exercising, chronic stress, all this can 
cause havoc on your thyroid. And this can also cause havoc on conversion. So T4 can convert away from act from forming the active form of T3 and instead produces an inactive thyroid hormone that I've told you about, reverse T3. This conversion issue can be created through the direct competition of reverse T3 and T3 for the thyroid hormone receptor in the cell or due to factors that inhibit T4 to T3 direct conversion. Again, we need that T3. Reverse T3 will prevent your T3 from being created and being used in the cell. Reverse T3 is not what you want to happen, but it serves as a marker of chaos in the body for you to look at within your lab work. Your reverse T3 is like the reverse function in a car. It can only move forward and do its job if it's moving forward. You want and need adequate T3 in your body to proceed with the creation of ATP for energy. Low T3 can hinder growth and development, causing decreased workout recovery or muscle growth, decreased metabolic rate, which causes weight gain or struggles with weight loss or even muscle loss lowers fat mobilization and carbohydrate metabolism, which further hinders your metabolism. It can slow gut motility, causing constipation, gas, and bloating, decreases protein synthesis, further contributing to muscle loss, decreases mental clarity, causing forgetfulness or brain fog, lowers reproductive hormones, contributing to PMS problems, infertility, or estrogen being low or high, and then it lowers your body temperature and heart rate. And that can cause bradycardia and impaired exercise tolerance. I know for me, for my hypothyroidism, when my thyroid is really low, I do not have any tolerance for exercising. It honestly, like walking is hard. So those are things to keep in mind. Now, just because there is proper conversion of T4 to T3 does not mean that T3 can enter the cells of your body and be used. And this is called cellular hypothyroidism. I'm going to dive into that in a whole other podcast with another guest. Now, your thyroid hormones, they travel in the blood via thyroid binding globulin. And this is why measuring free thyroid hormones is essential to to adequately measure thyroid function. Testing total thyroid may give you a small picture of the amount of thyroid hormone in your blood. However, it doesn't tell you how much thyroid is actually available and to be used. There's one more caveat here. Just because thyroid hormone is free and is able to be used doesn't mean it can enter the cell and do its job. Again, this is cellular hypothyroidism, and it's a culprit for many that continue to struggle with hypothyroid symptoms despite quote-unquote normal lab values. I would dive into this even in great more detail in another podcast. Now we're going to dive into common root causes and then recap of what can happen to wreak havoc on your thyroid. So common root causes of hypothyroidism, whether that's related to damaging the thyroid itself through molecular mimicry, reducing or altering thyroid production or conversion, or inhibiting thyroid absorption at the cellular level can wreak havoc. So... We have nutrient deficiencies, specifically nutrients like selenium, iodine, B vitamins, vitamin D, iron, thiamine, zinc, magnesium, omega-3s. Nutrition excess in which things like too much zinc can induce a copper deficiency or too much iron can cause hemochromatosis, aka iron overload, or too much B6 which can cause peripheral neuropathy, aka tingling of your hands and feet, 
or too much iodine can increase TPO antibodies, specifically causes issues for people with Hashimoto's. Again, having too much or too little of a nutrient can cause hypothyroidism. Environmental toxins can as well. BPA, BHT, phthalates, parabens, heavy metals, xenoestrogens, you name it. More info, there is an environmental toxin uh, podcast that I've already recorded with one of my friends. Check it out. Then we have gut infections like SIBO, candida, fungal overgrowth, parasites, dysbiosis in general. Um, so definitely my, the GI stool map is one of my favorites and that is what I use with my clients to look at gut infections and dysbiosis. Oh, H. pylori too. I have seen that so often. Okay, so we also have that. We have food intolerances or intestinal permeability, aka leaky gut or low stomach acid. Chronic infections like Lyme disease or Epstein-Barr virus. Hormone dysfunction such as estrogen dominance, low progesterone or lower high testosterone. Adrenal dysfunction, whether that's high or low cortisol or pituitary dysfunction such as a pituitary tumor or even a post-head injury. Medications, including lithium, which is used in psychiatric treatment, anti-seizure medications, heart arrhythmia medications, type 2 diabetes type medications, so, such as sulfonylureas, gastric acid reducers, such as PPIs, which are used for reflux, H2 receptor antagonists, which are commonly taken um, for allergy medications to decrease histamine levels, then radioactive iodine treatment, other medications such as birth control, beta blockers, glucocorticoids, antileptic drugs, pregnancy in which it can induce postpartum hypothyroidism, tumor growth, thyroid tissue damage itself, genetics, and severe caloric restriction, under eating, or over exercising. Now let's review what can happen to create havoc on your thyroid. Inadequate thyroid hormone production, too much or too little, thyroid immune attack, causing too much or too little thyroid hormone, poor thyroid conversion, causing too little T3 or too much reverse T3, poor thyroid hormone absorption, not allowing T3 to be used, aka cellular hypothyroidism, you can have high or low thyroid bonding globulin, lowering the amount of thyroid hormone that's available to be used, pituitary defects that um, mess up the signal from your thyroid to your other brain tissues like your hypothalamus, um, and then defects with your hypothalamus and signals to your pituitary itself. So overall, there's a lot of things that can go on. Now, thyroid healing should be about treating you, the patient, not the labs. Labs should be used to guide your treatment. However, the true care should be the true care should be to address you as a full person. You are not your labs. That is very important to remember. So many doctors go off blood work alone and this is such a disservice to you as a patient and a person because not only are you not a number, but your symptoms and feelings are 100% valid and should be addressed despite normal lab values. In fact, again, just because your labs may look normal does not mean that your thyroid is actually normal and it may need some love. Remember my discussion on cellular hyperthyroidism. More coming on that later. As of now, conventional medicine currently mostly uses TSH as the end-all be-all marker of thyroid function. It blows me away. Doctors, including endocrinologists, are trained to use TSH as a valid marker for hypothyroidism, in quotes. There are 
they are taught to diagnose hypothyroidism with a TSH of 5 or greater. And they're also taught to only test antibodies if TSH is greater than greater than or equal to 10. The trouble, as you know, and as I have discussed, is that TSH is only a pituitary marker. It says nothing about your thyroid and how their, your thyroid levels are in the bloodstream. In addition to this problem with TSH, doctors do not always check for three for three thyroid hormone levels. Some only check total or index thyroid, which may give you some information, but still does not tell you what your active thyroid hormone levels are at. Remember, serum and blood thyroid levels say nothing about what is free and able to be absorbed and used by your cells. Total thyroid, just like total hormone levels, only tell you what may make it to the target destination, not what is getting into its destination. It's imperative that you understand this, that you are ensured that you're getting a complete thyroid panel when given testing or checkups. A full thyroid panel should be consisting of TSH, free T4, free T3, TPO antibodies, and TGAB antibodies. That's just the start. There are many other important and significant tests that also can be recommended and highly beneficial. Okay, so I want to give you guys some thyroid functional reference ranges. TSH, I'm looking at 0.3 to 4.2 MIU per L. Free T4, 0.9 to 1.7 NG per DL. Free T3, 2.8 to 4.4 PG per ML. Serum reverse T3, 10 to 24 NG per DL. So, those are things to keep in mind. Other labs that may in- indicate hypothyroidism include elevated LDL cholesterol, hyponatremia, hyperprolactinemia, aka hyperlactin, anemia, which can be due to low B12, folate, or iron, high CRP, altered liver values, high bun, or abnormal sex hormones, or cortisol. So, overall, there's a lot to go into. I hope this podcast was filled with information. I hope it was extremely helpful. And I hope you have a better understanding to hypothyroidism, immune, non-immune, how your thyroid works, what can affect the function, and get ready because I have two more thyroid podcasts coming out and you are going to love them, okay? Please, 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 if you liked this podcast, share it, leave us a review, Share with your friends and family. Do whatever you can. Spread the word. I am trying to give as much free information for you as physically possible. So you guys, till next time, I love you. Thanks for listening to Uplift Fit Nutrition with your host, Lacey Dunn.